Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Today, my guest is Michelle, and I am so excited because Michelle is a former student of mine who has chosen to become a teacher. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, good morning. Um, sure. So yeah, I met, I met Mrs. Markley when I was at West Shore and I was in high school. She was my Spanish teacher, but she was a little bit more than just my Spanish teacher. And we had been talking about this in just a moment ago, but she was uh, a great influence on my life. And um, I just, as a person, I was born into a family of educators. My, my mom was a teacher for years. My dad was a teacher <clears throat> for years. And then they both pursued administration. So I, I grew up in a household full of like dining room tables, full of stacks of grading papers and <laughs> evenings where, hey, the whole family is going to the, you know, the kindergarten play together. Here we go. <laughs> that was, that was our, our culture and our family. And um, I, unfortunately, I, I grew up a little bit resentful of that because it did, um, teaching is such a, a full-time investment that I, I didn't understand it as a child. I just experienced it as a child. And um, I had promised myself I would never be a teacher because of my experience, you know, as, as an innocent child, not really knowing all of the moving parts. And so as I, as I grew and I graduated and I pursued pretty much anything and everything except education. Um, and I, I looked at psychology, I looked at communication, um, and life events led, you know, in the direction of more counseling. Um, I did, I did some um, college level counseling. I did some admissions counseling, things like that. And uh, teaching was always a, a fallback. Like I knew I'd be good at it, and or at least I thought I would be good at it <laughs> because you know I, I didn't know truly what it was like. But it was always my fallback. Like if I ever did teach, I would be quote unquote settling. And it's hard for me to say now, that's, that's really sad actually looking back, but that's where I was at the time. And, um, you know, I, i I met my husband at the time and, and we were young and we had my daughter and, um, you know, he had, he had a health crisis in his life and I, I helped him. Um, I was a caretaker during that time, full-time caretaker and a full-time young mother. And I helped him, um, you know, restore his health. Um, but at some point in that, in that process, there were some pretty dark times. And, um, and he decided that um, the new nature of our relationship where I was a caretaker and, and he was a patient and he was a young father and I was a young mother and we were just navigating this crazy life together. 
he decided that it wasn't working for us. And so walking through separation as a stay at home mom, um, when your daughter's like two and making a decision for a lifelong decision for divorce, you know, and culturally that's not what I had. It's not what had been modeled for me. So, um, it was difficult. And, but I, I had always been told like, make the most of a crisis. So I'm like, well, Hey, now's a great time to reinvent myself. What should I do? Go to school, of course. So I started to pursue a PhD in clinical psychology and it was great because I could stay with my daughter and I could be in class. And, um, but there was a time when she, she was ready to go back to school and I needed to pay my mortgage, quite frankly. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately it was one of those moments where I'm like, well, what is my fallback? What is safe? You know, in the midst of this chaos and this crisis, what is predictable for me? What is approachable? Well, of course, I've known education my whole life. You know, I'll just like waltz in there and I've got this. Um, so I did, I waltzed. I didn't have it, but I waltzed for sure. <laughs> um, so I went back into the, um, I went into the classroom. I had substituted and I had, you know, since I was early on, I was like 18 when I had my first substituting job. I'd been in the classroom. I'd been around education. I had absolutely no idea. So the way that I became a teacher was in the middle of a crisis, I thought it was my fallback. And I jumped in headfirst to uh, an, an experience that changed my life. And it just so happened that that was last year. That was the 2019-2020 school year. And, you know, as most of us have experienced, our whole world was turned upside down during that year. But if, if we hadn't had all of the craziness of 2020, my life still would have been changed drastically just by stepping into the classroom and experiencing something that I will now never, ever be, away, um, be able to get away from. It's, it has totally rocked my world in the best way possible. <laughs> so that is how I became a teacher, uh, a long winding road, um, unexpected and full of assumptions that were totally, totally inaccurate. And I was happy to find that out. Mm-hmm. My daughter, the, the same sort of story, you know, when she, she was in college and she was an art major and she decided, I don't want to do, I don't want to be a starving artist the rest of my life. And she <laughs> said, I want to do something different with my life. And I remember saying to her, you would make such a wonderful teacher. And she started crying and she was like, why would you want that for me? Because she oh. had seen the same thing that you were talking about, like this whole life of kindergarten plays, you know, in the middle of the week at night when you had other things going on or you wanted to be a family. Uh, But, you know, she's, she is such a wonderful teacher now. And she sees, she sees exactly why teachers become teachers. It takes that heart of a teacher, that calling to want to be part of that sort of professional family and to see the difference it makes in the world, not just in your family, and in a good way. They, they, both of my daughters still tell stories about things that happened, you know, when we were as a family going to school events and involved in school family activities and that sort of thing. It really builds very fond memories and a close connection to all of us as human beings, because we all share that experience of school you know, hopefully. So, 
So that's why you became a teacher and you talked a little bit about, um, you know, growing up in a teacher family. Um, so you started last year in a public school in the same district where your parents uh, are as well. And um, that sometimes is difficult. I know my daughter struggled with that because she has the first yes. same <laughs> initial as yeah. mine. And so people would get us confused, you know, on the email and everything. And she was a little, you know, like, no, I'm not my mom. You know, I'm, <laughs> this is her daughter. And she, you know, no kid ever wants to be known as so-and-so's daughter, you know, or so-and-so's mom, that sort of thing. So, so she moved to a different district. And so Last year, I know you were in a Title I school, and this year you have a different journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and how you've, some of the things you've experienced with it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, last year, just, just to kind of backtrack a little bit, when I, when I was applying to schools, it was the beginning of the school year, and I was anticipating the whole six-day count and, you know, trying to make sure that they're, you know, that they really needed me and, and they weren't just going to move me last minute and, you know, shuffle me around in the district and, you know, that whole, um, that whole approach from the administration side, which I had never experienced myself, but I always heard, you know, so I, I jumped in last minute and um, in the interview, I was actually thrilled that they had no idea who I was. <laughs> I was, it was, it was wonderful because um, they, they just took me for who I was, you know, and, and not that there wasn't a great reputation for my family. There was, it's just, I wanted to make it on my own. You know how we do that. So um, I was thrilled when, when she didn't know who I was, but then she saw my face and she goes, oh, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> you can have oh, a different no. last name, but when your face looks exactly the same as your mom's, <laughs> you can't run from it, which at that point it ended up, the decision had already been made. So at that point it was, it was okay. It was, it was safe and it was great to move, to move forward with that. Um, but yes, I, I completely, that, that, uh, experience with your daughter resonated with me completely because <laughs> 100%, um, but yeah, so I, it was a Title I school. And the interesting thing is that this school just happened to be five minutes away from where I lived. Now, granted, it was across, it was across that main street. You know, in every city, there's like a main street, and then there's, you know, two different sides. It was across, but it was five minutes from my house. And I'm like, how great is this? I will see my students at the grocery store, and I will be in community with them. And I will literally be, you know, where they are at. I will be where they live. And, and, um, it was a title one school and, and a lot of, a lot of us know what that means. And, um, it inherently comes with a lot of, a lot of struggles that are not, are not explicitly stated, you know, title one, you have like free and reduced lunch. Okay, great. But that also means that these students are caring for their siblings. They are they are working jobs after school. And I'm talking elementary, um, you know, sixth grade, they're, they're getting their siblings dressed for school. They're, they're helping their siblings um, get their homework done. And, and they're cooking and, and they are scrounging for food. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it's truth. And they are the ones who sacrificed all weekend so that their younger siblings could have food. And they come in on Monday morning and they lay their head down on their desk and they say that they're tired, but it's more than just being tired. 
And how does a student absorb any kind of information in that state? And so you find yourselves as a teacher easily being able to identify the big picture, which is before the student can ever learn, they need to, they need to have safety. They need to have the basics. And so you spend a lot of your time providing, providing basics like eye contact and a smile. And I see you. I see you. I know you're struggling and it's okay. I can't fix it. I can't walk into your home and fix everything that's happening. But right now I can be here with you in this moment and I can give you what I have in this moment, which is, I don't know, a granola bar in my desk, a lap around the court. If you need, if you need some physical exertion, um, if you need to just lay your head down because you're having one of those days. Okay. We'll figure out the rest later because it, it would be of, of no growth if we, if we forced people to jump into it. They wouldn't truly grow. They wouldn't truly make any progress if, if the very basics weren't provided. And when you step into that level with another human being, for, forget, for, forget you know, teacher, student, school, just another human being, when, when you see them and their brokenness and you say, hey, um, I don't have all the answers, but I can, I can help you right now in this moment. That creates a relationship and um, a trust between, between two individuals where they say, okay. And it frees them. It frees them to do all kinds of things. It frees them to, to jump three grade levels in their FSA scores in three months. How does that happen? It's not because of intelligence or lack thereof. It's because of environment. It's because of connectedness. It's because of attachment. And um, I've, I've pretty much anything I do in life, I've always approached through connectedness because that's what we're here for. We were created for community and connectedness. And so whether it's in the classroom or, or in a, you know, a corporate job or whatever it is, the connectedness is what makes the difference. So when when you're put in a position where you invest in these children, you invest and you invest, you build these relationships and you start seeing that growth like little by little. And then all of a sudden, 2020 decides, hey, we're just going to turn the world upside down. <laughs> and as teachers, you know, I've learned that you have this moment where um, all of that investment pays off. And it's not necessarily numbers or test scores. It's that you see the growth in the student. And it takes a while for that to happen. It, it's not in the first nine weeks. And so I think every teacher reaches towards that, that last quarter where we've arrived, we've done it, we partnered together. And, we, and as teachers, that was stolen from us last year. We never crossed that finish line. We tried so hard. I mean, we, we were having graduations in parking lots with, <laughs> with masks and cars and I mean, just anything, anything to even give the semblance of, of crossing that finish line. And, and that didn't happen. But somewhere in that journey, even in those, those first three, nine weeks, I, I found myself going from, hey, this is a fallback for me. This is, I'm settling to, 
no, this is, this is a passion. This is a calling. This is a ministry. This is a stepping into my journey. And not every teacher feels that. You take a step in a classroom. Some teachers are like, nope, I am out. <laughs> I went to school for this, but no, I am, not, I am not cut out for that. And that's okay. That is okay because teaching is an art. It's a calling. It's a mission. It's a passion. And it's okay if you don't have it. But if you do, you can't run from it. You can't. It's a part of you. And so when you, when you step into that and you realize it, it's, it changes your life. It's, it's huge. Personally. It, cha it changes the lives of these children. That's the most important thing. I mean, you get so much from it and you walk away with, you know, a heart full of memories and uh, right. satisfaction, some heartbreak. But in the end, those kids are the ones that are really, are really the ones that are benefiting from all of your passion. And you're answering the calling. And we talked about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And that is, you know, for a true teacher, and that's why I call it the spirit of teaching, it is a hero's journey because it's, it's tough. And, you know, the dark night of the soul, that's what teachers are going through right now with this pandemic mm -hmm. and having to teach online and face-to-face -face and with their families and challenges and the fear of, you know, the COVID and everything like that. It is, it is truly a, a calling and a journey. And so we talked a little bit about the, the prescription in education and mm -hmm. having parents and going through this and seeing what they went through as administrators and how they were being held accountable or their conversations a little different perspective, like we, I was yeah. at the district and it was <laughs> not the place for me and the administrative part of it because that whole thing of what you're talking about where you have to see where the child is right now, the Maslow before blooms, are they safe? Are they just getting enough food? What do they need at this moment? And then an administrator coming to you and saying, as, as it's being returned to, I see it with my daughter and she's like, what do you mean? What standard am I on today? And asking at the Thank PLC, yeah. um, well, why are you not on that standard? And yes. can you explain to me and give me evidence as to why you're behind or why your kids aren't there yet? So talk a little bit about that as a, a new teacher and, and, you know, the context that you have. And you're also, yeah. your clinical psychology background, that's a big <laughs> part of it too. Yeah. So, so I was warned coming into teaching, oh, it's a different world out there now. It's, it's all evidence and research based. And I was like, bring it on. Research is where I live. Like <laughs> I can do statistics all day long. This is where, you know, be pursuing to be like published and, and doing your own research. And yeah, I, I, the numbers and yes, bring it. But then you walk into the classroom <laughs> <laughs> And, and how do you quantify, right? How, how, do, you, how do you quantify the effects of, of the lack of, of basics, 
you know, the not having basics and, and how that affects your learning and absorption of material and information. And, and how do you quantify that and then present it on the platter and say, here is my evidence for not being aligned with my teacher next door on our standard focus board. And, you know, we haven't moved through the standard yet. And we haven't, we haven't had excellence, you know, that's been maintained or pursued for this standard because we're still on this other one because, you know, and I, I was so blessed. I had literally, I believe that she was placed in my life for a very, a very specific purpose. Um, her last name is Ripka. She was my co-teacher last year and it was her first year at the school as well. And I taught English and social studies, which I loved. You know why. Um, but <laughs> I taught English and social studies and she taught math and science. She's a very linear person. Um, she was my my counterpart in a very beautiful way. Um, we had opposite teaching styles, opposite um, the way our brains functioned, but our students, because of that, got this well-rounded approach, right? And we were able to to um, approach every learning style because of our our blend. But she um, she helped me to grow in the linear things, like the standard focus board. And she was a teacher of excellence and had been for years. Um, she was distinguished year after year after year and highly sought after. Um, and I was able to mentor under her. And so she, she taught me all of these benchmarks and markers and here's what's expected and here what you need to do and, and all of these things. And I'm like, okay, how do I blend that with the, with the passion? How do I blend that with reaching my students where they are? And, and yes, it is difficult. When we, the expectation for teachers is for us to, to fit into this model. And I understand, I understand what they are pursuing. I do. The, the uh, fluidity between different, even counties and states. And, you know, if, if you're all on the same page, great, you know, but we're not all on the same page. Every student is unique. Every classroom dynamic and culture has its own identity and, and rhythm. And so, no, my classroom was not going to be on the same standard as the classroom across the hall, also in sixth grade. And the expectation was for us to have our standard focus board um, published and up where everyone could see it. And they all needed to be the same. So anytime administration walked through, they should see the same essential question, the same standard, and, and the same assessment for how we would measure that. Um, and it's difficult, it's hard, because in the moment, in the day, you're trying to give your students what they need, but you also wanna be excellent at your job. <laughs> and how do, you, how do you quantify the sleepless nights and provide that as, as evidence for being behind on your standard? It is hard, it's very hard. Um, teachers are juggling all kinds of things. Um, and it's difficult, yeah, it's very difficult. And now we have new variables that should be part of the equation as far as technology. Yes. What happens when the internet's down? What happens when the signal isn't there? What happens when a kid can't get into the virtual class? What happens when COVID comes into the home of a, of a child? It just, there are so many other variables now that are, that are not being factored in. And the more variables you have in the equation, the more different the outcomes can be. So true. And it's just, it's, it's just such a challenge right now. And we really cannot go back to the whole standards-based, uh, you know, even the evaluation 
teachers are being told you have to have your professional development plan in place and we're going to be coming doing walkthroughs even in the virtual classroom and yes like you said i understand that from a point of um this is what the administration is being told and the administrators at the district the district level funding is tied to a lot of this and yes. they're being told that you have to have this evidence for the funding and it, it boils down to once again all about money is what's become part of our culture uh, the huge driving force in our culture yes. our country yes. and it's not really about like you were saying those quantifiable things when you have those kids that because you are meeting their needs and they feel like yes they can you know like mm -hmm. i used to say in class si se puede you know like yes, you, you can did. do this <laughs> yes i did and that was it was more about being that cheerleader and just yeah. opening your eyes and your heart that you could do it and that i was going to be there for you no matter what and that is huge to learning gains and when you don't have the time to do that for every child and you are trying to put everybody into a box and you know package them up and send them off all at the same time it just doesn't work and definitely not in a pandemic definitely and not unfortunately there is um there is a new variable on the scene that is not really something that we faced before as as districts um and and you you touched on it and that's funding right we have never had to compete for our students our students were just our students they lived in our district they showed up but all of a sudden now we have the hybrid and the virtual and we are competing with a state entity and so if our students switch to a virtual state entity we lose our funding locally for those students and so now not only are we are, are we trying to meet them where they're at and we're doing all this stuff we are literally competing for our own students and the funding that comes along with them and and how, how many thousands of students have, have left Brevard and are now part of Florida Virtual School? That is a state entity. That funding went with those students. And um, it's difficult because that directly impacts the teachers. So how do, you, how do you prove that our program is more successful? How do you prove? Well, that's all in numbers. That's all in you know, assessments. And so I get the meaning behind it. I get the, the noble pursuit of of trying to maintain our population and our funding and all of those things but there's there's a broken system that is um we're all trying to navigate and nobody knows what we're, we're all it's all new we're all just blind leading the blind here it's very um it's very different yeah mm -hmm. building the plane as we're flying it that's an expression i keep hearing from from teachers yes. and oh yeah yeah and if you're on social media or or just talking to teachers it, it yeah. teachers are the strongest most dedicated human beings I know and when a teacher is struggling you know it's hard you know it's hard and that's why I said it is the hero's journey right now teachers are yeah. the heroes and yes nurses doctors on the front lines with COVID yes but yeah. teachers should be celebrated and should be acknowledged and recognized for what they're doing um, yeah. and not you, taken for granted. When you experience what it's like to subscribe to 
a um, a status of, of greater than, right? You're pursuing the greater than. This is greater than me. This is greater than this moment. This is greater than just this year. And you, you step into this mission and the calling that says, this is bigger than who I am. I am investing in our future. And it sounds cliche. I understand that, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. You are, you are investing in our legacy. You are investing in the future of everything, our politics, our country, our, our sustainability as, as even a county. I mean, just all of the above. Um, and so there is this greater than calling. And that is the underlying driving force that pushes you through those hard moments where you want to give up, you want to throw in the towel, you literally are at your threshold and breaking point and you say, I can't do this anymore. But then there's that voice in the back of your head that says, but yes, you can, because this is bigger than you. This is greater than, and you push yourself through. But for the first time in a while, we are seeing lots of teachers that are saying, but I can't. And you literally have to choose between your family and your calling because we are in a moment where a lot of times those two things cannot coincide. Um, and it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And the teachers are, are being placed in this position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that our society has gotten to, and being from West Shore, which it's, you know, very high achieving, and the competition has made it all about, we're always striving for more, 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 more. How much more can we do? How much more can we get? And so I think it's about managing expectations. Talking to different teachers, the conversation I have now is like, what can you let go of? And I know that's yeah. part of the whole, the website and the spirit of teaching and the resources I put there. Yeah. And my newsletter that I'm sending out is to just have that reminder of stop for a minute and breathe. What can you let go of? And what do you need to speak up about? Yes. Maybe tell the administrator, listen, remind them, because they're listening maybe to the district that's putting a lot of pressure on them and they need to be brought back to reality and just say, I have yeah. this many kids who have been, you know, not on line and I've contacted the parent this many times and I don't know what else I can do admitting that vulnerability. And I've seen that happen too. And then the teacher yeah. says to the administrator, how about if you come in and try to teach the class for a day, walk in my shoes and see how frustrating it is when the internet's down, the server crashes, the signal's not there, the kid is not getting the support they need at home. Right. So the reality of things hits. And I think then we can manage our expectations a little bit better. And we need to stop going for that more, more, more. We're not enough. We have to get that school grade. We have to make that learning gain. We have to, you know, let's back off a little bit. What can we do? What's sustainable? And what can we do to support everyone here and survive? And part, of, part of the beauty of, um, and why I was so just ecstatic when I heard um, what you were pursuing, part of the beauty of, of connectedness is having, having a community and, and allowing yourself permission to say, okay, let's prioritize. And when you're told, well, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this, 
okay, well, when you sit down and you collaborate with like-minded, like-hearted people, and you, you almost have that opportunity for that external permission that says, you know what? It's okay. You failed at this. You failed at that. You didn't actually fail. You just put it on the back burner because this took precedence and this was a priority. And what is your actual goal here? What is your goal? Is your goal to serve your students? Is your heart, is your, is your focus on students and actually meeting them and their needs? And time and time again, every time I ask myself that question, it really does help me to streamline, like you said, the expectations. But when you are isolated, when you are an island during the summer, following a quarantine pandemic COVID situation, and you are by yourself, you are literally by yourself over the summer, trying to make decisions about your next step into the next year and, and what you will or will not do and where your line is and your boundaries are as a person, as a human. You lose that community and you have no way of connection. And that's why, that's why the spirit of teaching, this, that's why this was so beautiful because it was a moment that brought us back together and we were able to collaborate on, on a grander scale, right? Like not, not just our co-teachers, not just, you know, our friends from last year, but, but no, this is, a, this is a movement. This is not just one or two teachers. This is across the nation. We are all, probably for the first time in history, we are literally all in the same position. We are all in the same shoes. We're all facing. And what, what better moment to take advantage of a crisis and say, let it build unity. Let us, let us find the beauty and simplifying and focusing ourselves to what is truly important. That is, that is the beauty of this moment. And I think it will revolutionize how we move forward in education tremendously. Um, and I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I know we can't go back. Mm -hmm. I know we can't go back. Another expression I used to use in Spanish in class, which was, you know, there is no bad that good doesn't come from. Right. Um, and so I'm hope, that's my hope from all of this pandemic is that there's a lot of good coming out of it that is going to move us forward into a place of even greater potential, greater hope, you know, greater abundance. Uh, and, and happiness that kids are going to feel like maybe they are enough and that they can grow into the best version of themselves and not be following or chasing an ideal or something that other people have told them is who they should be or what they should do or what that looks like. That has become way too much. I mean, you know, you know, it, at, at school, it was like, no, no, you have to go to the very best college. It has to be an Ivy League college. It has to be, you have to take five AP classes and get five on all of them. Otherwise, you're not worthy enough. You're not going to make it in this world. It's, that is a, that is a lie we're telling children. And yes. it's, it, we need to change that. So, um, so Let's wrap this up with just some fill in the blanks where you just get to say whatever you think it is. And it is a perfectly correct answer. And there's <laughs> no multiple choice, no true faults. It is just, you just tell me what you think. And, and it is absolutely perfection. Okay. All right. So 
Teaching is. Teaching is. Mm, I love that. Teaching is sacrifice and abundance all rolled into one. Teaching is the stopping of time and living in the moment while also changing the course of history. Teaching is it's the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of our culture, of our society, of our future. Um, wasn't always my perspective, but I wholeheartedly submit that now. Absolutely. All right. My greatest hope for all children is... My greatest hope for all children is the realization that anything is truly possible, not because of your level of excellence, but because we are all human, we are all broken, and in the midst of that, we have all achieved something great at some level. And your great doesn't look like my great or their great or any of that, and you don't have to be perfect, just like you said doesn't necessarily have to be right or wrong or, or fit inside the box. Um, that is my hope. That's beautiful. Learning happens when? Learning happens when there is a foundation of trust, connectedness, relationship, and attachment. 100%. And last, my greatest mission every day as a teacher is to see my students where they are at and be transparent with them and be there with them for myself too. Well, I wish you a lot of luck this year coming up and tell your parents I said hi. I will. <laughs> and, and thank you so much for doing this. You had such beautiful answers and you're just, I'm so glad that you finally, finally answered the calling for teaching because what a gift you are thank for you. kids. What well, a gift. Thank you. I was so stubborn though. Goodness. <laughs> but you know, life keeps giving us those lessons until we learn them. So. Oh, it does. It absolutely does. Thank and you so much for having me. <laughs> It has been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure.